0: for august 31st 2020 it's the overthinking it podcast episode 635 who is wild stallions to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like some bros, some dudes who started on a journey more than a decade ago, and now are uh are much aged and uh really you know different but also kind of the same man uh that's what that's what we're like station uh i'm 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 matt rather i am here with pete peter fenzel esquire hello pete hello matt (laughs) and uh mark songman lee hello mark
1: squeedly squeedly squee but like a little bit older and a little more tired.
0: Ah uh, man. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't well yeah, I mean I missed opportunity I think with some of the squeedly squeedly squee but let's go let's go on. Uh let's go on and talk about Bill and Ted face the music. Let's talk. Let's face our own personal music. In fact, I think the story of this week is a story of us facing our own personal music. We sort of determined, uh, in our, in our group chat where we keep up with each other and plan these things. We, we, um, Determined on Slack that we were going to do Bill and Ted Face the Music uh, the week that that it came out. Uh, And many thanks, many thanks to the wonderful members who support us. Uh, by, uh, joining overthinking it at overthinking com slash join. And for a, uh, for, uh, you know, a contribution of $5 a month that works out to be about a dollar a podcast when you, you know, average it out throughout the year. Um, they, uh, support us with, with, uh, a little money in addition to their listenership. And, and those heroes get not only the, uh, not only the knowledge that they are supporting and sustaining the best podcast in all of space and time that literally holds reality together. Um, not only that. But also, uh, we do some cool stuff for them, like uh, put premium audio in the members' area of the website and we um, you know and and it is thanks to those members uh, what I mean to say is it's thanks to those members that we can do some premium video on demand and uh spend 25 bucks to to watch bill and ted face the music so when it was clear that we were going to do that um and watch a swim, we thought okay well how will we do this because we were planning last week's podcast as well and we thought okay mark's never seen excellent adventure um let's uh Actually, teach Mark a thing or two about rock and roll, a subject on which he had been innocent up to this point, entirely, uh, you know, entirely not knowledgeable, totally in the dark, yeah, totally in uh, the dark, and and um, so Mark learned about guitars you know for the first time and that that uh that god gave rock and roll to us. Oh no, sorry, it's in the second movie. Um so we recorded last week's podcast on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Then we dropped them special members only segment uh on, I shouldn't say segment, it's a whole other podcast. In fact, it's rather long for one of our podcasts on Bill and Ted's bogus journey, which is now available in the members area. Members, you can uh go ahead over to overthinking.com and, and uh on the website in the members area, you will find it there and if if you'd like to join overthinking.com slash join. And now we come to face the music. So like this has been uh and I don't know, you know, I don't know uh guys if your wives have have watched all these films with you. My girlfriend watched all three with me, and we were talking about it um yesterday, and like uh said so we like we it was a very heavy Bill and Ted week. <laughs> Bill and Ted really were the, the spirit that hung over this week for us, which if of course is most excellent. Uh, if for us most unprecedented. So uh, let's dive into Face the Music. Uh, spoilers if you haven't um, if you haven't seen it. Uh, I mean um, and uh, it's
1: not really a spoiler of a movie. Though. Well,
0: yeah, I was about to say it kind of it's it kind twist, of doesn't like matter. you see
1: the twist coming from a mile away and the events that uh, proceed are uh, like nonsensical and I don't say not consequential, but like Heavy movies. I'm actually, to
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest later on in the podcast a couple of rewrites that would have made the twist a little less easy to see coming, um, from, you know, from the trailer, which is, you know, I called it last week when I saw the trailer. But anyway, uh, Pete, will you tell us what even happens in Bill and Ted face sure. the music and what, uh, you know, what, what even is it that we watched?
2: Sure. So for those who are total neophytes, Bill and Ted are two kids. They started as teenagers who grew up in San Dimas, California, a little bit inland in Southern California, who are a care for rock and rollers. And in the first movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, they go back in time. They take a journey back in time and meet a whole bunch of historical figures in order to uh, bring them to their school to present a book report so that they can pass their big exam, their big oral exam at the end of the year, and the friends don't have to be split up and sent to military school. And there's this idea that they have this great destiny, that if they follow their destiny and they stay together as a band, they will play this beautiful music that will unite all of humanity. And they have this sort of great future, provided that they can come to understand the past. In the second movie, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, they're a couple years older, and they're starting to confront adulthood, right? And they're trying to they're starting to confront the anxieties and the pains and fears of being an adult and the relationship complexities that come with being an adult and such. By the way, they have uh, they have kind of um I wouldn't say kidnapped, <laughs> but they have very very quickly eloped with a couple of medieval princesses who've also become part of their band at this point. In the second movie, They uh, go on this uh, kind of Dantean slash pilgrim's progress kind of journey through all creation uh, because their fears manifest as them being killed. And they have to, in order to stop an evil gym teacher who wants to destroy the future, they have to travel to hell, to heaven. uh, You know, they have to vie with death himself. And then they eventually have to come around and kind of recreate themselves in their own image so that they can battle themselves and, and kind of achieve a sense of self-mastery that will lead to them being able to play the song that is supposed to unite, you know, all humanity, right? So, so the third one, now this is, of course, 30 years later, right, uh, is <laughs> we find that Bill and Ted have uh, become uh, prog rockers in the extreme, very unsuccessful prog rockers, rather than the carefree uh you know, jam sesh latter day uh kind of uh latter day like motley crew esque rock and rollers uh, that That they became just as that moment was slipping away, you, rather than holding on to that energy and spirit, they have crawled up their own theremin and have become plagued <laughs> with their anxiety <laughs> over being unable to write this great song that 's supposed to unite the world and there 's this idea that they keep kind of trying and trying and trying, and the harder they try, the more they lose, and the worse they get
1: and the unhappy pause for a get. second and briefly just acknowledge at the end of bill ted 's bogus journey. Um, Suggests that they actually did that—that they uh, performed, wrote, and performed the greatest song of all time, "United Humanity." And there's this like kind of like you know credit post credits uh, like epilogue that suggests all these great things happen. And a lot of that is like basically wiped away for this movie, right? They suggested like they had a big hit, um, but then like so many other musicians with one big hit, uh, they faded away into obscurity, right? right, And the world just continued on uh, as it does today.
2: And so from here, Bill and Ted, I, I will say this. If you had anxiety or fear yourself that the third Bill and Ted movie would be bad because it would be a movie where nobody gave a damn, uh, you can rest easy. This is a movie that a lot of people cared a lot about, and, and, and there is a lot in the movie. If anything, like Bill and Ted themselves in this movie, perhaps it suffers from people caring a bit too much because there is a lot going on, and, uh, and, and it could have, I think, used some, some uh, refinement. I mean— I liked watching it, uh, but it wasn't the easiest watch. But not again, neither again was Bogus Journey. And um, I don't know. We'll talk more about the sort of overall evaluation. But that's all preamble to say that there are three stories in Face the Music that are related to each other in a thematic way, but which are kind of stapled together at key plot points uh, in in, in the scope of the story that maybe – Don't really uh, interweave or hang together as much as one might like. And so these three stories are one Bill and Ted dealing with their personal uh, their midlife crisis, I guess, is the simple way of putting it. This 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 feeling that they have that they're not going to accomplish the thing that they're supposed to accomplish, which is driving them deeper and deeper into a kind of self-destructive malaise. And it is a sort of inverted Bill and Ted adventure where Bill and Ted attempt to try to keep traveling farther and farther into the future to find a version of themselves that has solved their problems that they're facing now because they can't solve their problems now or they don't want to. Right. They're afraid. They're sad. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Will the the ultimate solution is, is you know, perhaps questionable you but uh, in in the way that it's articulated but but i will get to that when i sort of tie it all together right so they 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 have a sort of back and forth with progressively older versions of themselves who rather than getting helpful get worse and worse and worse right and in a rather funny way uh and uh if that were sort of the only that, that were the sort of whole thrust of the movie i think that there's a way to do that that would be pretty funny right that bill and ted are just kind of spiraling right and, and like each attempt they make to time travel to fix things like they time travel to a couple's counseling where they tell their wives that there's no hope for their marriage because they've been told it by future versions of themselves <laughs> and that ruins the couple's counseling right it's like we weren't it's going ris- to it you. is
1: ridiculous as it sounds and like yeah. you know it's a good like bellwether if you're into that sort of humor yeah. or not if based so, on your yeah. prior affection for Bill and Ted
2: yeah so there's sort of like what Bill and Ted as Genesis or like not Genesis, like not really Dan, but like what, like Bill and Ted as the sort of like like some sort of really aggressive prog rock act that never that had one big hit. So not something as big and enduring as Genesis that that is trying to wrestle with this idea that they have to do something great and their time is starting to run out. Which of course in Bill and Ted movies is both is a problem that tends to solve itself <laughs> through various sorts of MacGuffins. So the second story right is that um, there is a prophecy, right? So now you know we're in trouble. We're wading, we're we're about knee-deep into Street Fighter, the Legend of Chun-Li territory here, right? Like, there is a prophecy of a chosen one who's going to save the world. And it's funny because it's not that different from what they talk about in the previous two movies, but it feels different. It feels kind of cheaper and tawdrier to be like, well, there's this prophecy that, you know, these two people are going to write this song that's going to save the world, And, you know, it's going to be like unite the world. And now we've added the scope of save reality. Right. So there's this problem that that people are popping in and out of time and reality is kind of collapsing on itself because this event that was supposed to happen uh, that presumably involved Bill and Ted doing their wild stallions thing uh, is not happening. Right. And the twist, which is really frickin obvious from the very beginning, is that, uh, oh, it turns out that Bill and Ted's daughter's have the first names of Bill and Ted's last names. And so the prophecy is really about the daughters and not about Bill and Ted. Right. And, and so this is a, a, a this this in and of itself is a pretty decent story when you think about it. Right. Like, OK, Bill and Ted need to figure out they need to solve the riddle. Right. That it's not about them. It's about their children. And this, of course, makes sense if you consider our talk about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, and being a movie about young people, right, and how young people regard history in the future, which we also talked about a bit on the Members Only episode, although I won't, I won't uh, belabor that because, you know, everybody who has got that has got the premium stuff, and I don't want to spoil it for everybody. Uh, you, can, you can go get the Members Only episode if you want to hear us talk more about that sort of thing. But the idea that as Bill and Ted get older, the responsibility for the future falls not necessarily to them – but to their responsibility for for empowering their kids and getting their kids ready to face the world, right? And so there's the sci-fi story where they have to crack that the prophecy says that the daughters are the ones who need to play the song. And there's a hunter-killer robot from the future who is, they're convinced that what needs to happen is they need to die. And so there's this sort of chase through time a la Jet Li's The One, right? Through like different versions of Bill and Ted and like different realities uh, as the sort of future cops are trying to kill them. And as uh, Bill and Ted are trying to solve this mystery that they don't really know is a mystery, which is part of the problem, that <laughs> they don't know it's a mystery, right? Uh, they think that it's just them, right? And this intersects with their whole plot about trying to improve themselves, but not absolutely, right? They, they are sort of hanging over each other, but they're not lightly woven together. And then the third plot is Bill and Ted's daughters, who are Leah and Preston, right? So And they're they're flipped, right? Um Althea and Billy, right? Well, it's Preston and Logan. So I guess maybe it is their last names. This is part of the confusion here, that, that Ted has a daughter who's named after Bill, and Bill has a daughter who's named after Ted. and But Ted's daughter, who's named after Bill, looks like Ted, and Bill's daughter who's named after after Ted Ted looks like, looks like Margot Robbie. (laughs) doesn't look like Bill at all. But uh, uh, I'm one of my, I think that, I think that, uh, that Thea is a little bit miscast in this. She's an Australian actress who slips into our Australian accent multiple times. uh, and, And doesn't really have that sort of like, you know, that sort of Neo music enthusiast energy. But anyway, the third plot follows the two daughters of Bill and Ted, um, and I, I really do like uh, Bridget Lundy Payne as as Billy, Ted's daughter, because she does capture that sort of vibe and, and sort of recaptures it. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to call it in sort of like a, you know, freeze pop. But that's a dated reference. They are a sort of experimental they're experimental musicians and music enthusiasts who don't have a lot of formal training in music, but have like encyclopedic knowledge of music because they love music and they've they've caught on. They've been given, you know, in their relationship with their fathers and mothers, this great love of music and this sort of enthusiasm for music, which is something that's very characteristic of Bill and Ted, uh, although they don't play a lot of music in movies, right? Like they do love music. And so these these women with the this this great deal of knowledge and they have that sort of silly mentality of Bill and Ted in their sort of social carriage, but are actually really, really super knowledgeable and very good at what they do. And so it's a little bit confusing as to whether they're supposed to be fools or not. I don't think they are, but they kind of act like it, which is sort of and so there's this sort of cultural signification of them being cool and also aloof, but they're also super smart and, and so it's a different sort of dynamic than Bill and Ted originally. But they go on a quest to try to cheer their dads up and, and sort of and, and sort of fix things um, by gathering together musicians from history who they will bring together to the big event where everybody's going to play the song that saved the universe. And so they journey to various places. Um, it, is, it is a little bit odd that they only get musicians um, because the movie isn't really – highly concerned with music other than that plot so there's this one plot that's like really really highly concerned with the history of music and then the other plots like most of the bill and ted plots are sort of loosely concerned with notions of kind of growing up right and 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 sort of music and the joy of music is kind of a stand-in for youthful exuberance and and the sort of engagement with the world which also happens but so you have the like you have the midlife crisis plot you have the the intergalactic multi-universal quantum mechanics killer robot with the, with the prophecy. And then you have the daughters on the tour through history getting famous musicians. Any three of those, I think, sound like a pretty fun idea for a Bill and Ted sequel. And the three of them are kind of tied together with zip ties at certain points in the story where they intersect, but otherwise I think are kind of at odds with each other. And it's hard to kind of kind of track everything that's going on. At least it was for me. Yeah, um, I, in
0: a way, totally. In a way, yeah. So, and Pete, yeah. I'm not, I'm gonna disagree with you on on one point. The sure. uh, the many years ago a prophecy foretold uh, yeah. is not a good basis for a Bill and Ted sequel. Yeah, no, it
2: yeah. shouldn't be that. It, should, yeah. it shouldn't be just about yeah the fact. Yeah, yeah.
0: The other two, the other two, totally are, and I and I think you're right that like what, one thing that it suffers from here is is a lack of focus, and because of the lack of focus, you can't make what I think is a is a basic decision um a basic decision now uh, uh about uh how to write this movie and kind of what it's going to be about what his project is going to be artistically creatively so so here i'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants here i'm making up theory on the spot uh or maybe i heard it somewhere but tell me if this does anything for you right like, and and if you see a connection to the Bill and Ted franchise and to this movie in particular, there are two kinds of stories I'm going to, to theorize. Um, or one way of looking at – one way of dividing stories into two kinds is the way that I am about to propose, which is that there stories about how you have to change, and then there are stories about how you have to stay the same and not change, Right and what what is bill and Ted? Intent- so so I, sorry let me let me cash that out a little bit and, just, and instead of just assuming everyone is going along with me right there's a there's a kind of story in which and Tom Cruise does this a lot uh, where like Tom Cruise has to grow up Tom Cruise has grown up dozens and dozens and dozens of time for our entertainment <laughs> um, like you know you have to put away childish things you have to realize what 's really important in your life you have to you know abandon you know what you thought your life was Going to be about and embrace what your life, um, you know, is actually about. Your values have to change. Your behavior has to change. Your, um, you know, sense of of what's good has to change. You know, um, oh, yep. a
1: lot of action movies like this, hero's journey stuff, Star Wars, yeah, the Matrix, etc. It's what Jack Reacher
2: does, in Jack Reacher, and then for and then has to do again in Jack Reacher Two.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, I like, I I read, I wanted some good quarantine reading, and I thought, I wonder if those Jack Reacher novels will be good quarantine reading, like, yeah. to a certain extent, like, undemanding, but still, still kind of rewarding while being undemanding, which is a tough needle to thread. Uh, and you know what? They are excellent quarantine reading, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, like, um, you know... Uh, and, and I actually think maybe they fall, you see, this is where you can get into debate. So I actually think they may fall into the second category, right? The second category. And I haven't like, honestly, I've read like a handful of these, so it's not, I'm no kind of expert and maybe like there are big twists or like big developments in the franchise coming that I am not aware of. But so, so far as I understand it, the formula is the Jack Reacher, uh, The Jack Reacher like rolls into town and we discover that what this town suffers from is an extreme lack of Jack Reacher. Jack, (laughs) (laughs) Jack reaching real hard. right? Right. And that like, uh, and that like, you know, this is another, you know, this is sort of like, uh, this is sort of what elf is, right? Like for Zoe Deschanel, it's a movie about how she has to change. For, for Will Ferrell, it's, uh, it's about how he just has to elf harder. He just has to stick to elfing because the problem is not with elfing itself. The problem is that he's elfing at the wrong time in the, the problem is the, the context of the elfing, but it's a story about how he has to, how he has to stay the same, right? And so this, this is a movie. Uh, and, and so like my kind of, my fundamental problem here, uh, you're talking about Bill and Ted face the music. Now now I'm talking about Bill and Ted face the music. Sorry. let, Let me context switch now into, into now that I've explained the theoretical basis that I am pulling out of my ass here. Um, I think that. I think that Bill and Ted suffers from a lack of decision about what kind of movie Bill and Ted Face the Music is. What kind of story? Is this a story about how you have to change? Right? In how you have to change and like save your marriage or how you have to change and learn, you know, what the values of your youthful self mean in an adult context, right? How you have to kind of put away, you can still be excellent, but the way of excellenting, like the, 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 the way of, you know, or is it the way of excellenting may be different in the context of a, you know, of a a middle-aged father rather than um, the the way of being excellent to each other may, you know, uh, have be expressed in a different register. Or is this a movie about how you were right all along your, you know, uh, police officer father and your brother, like, they never understood you, like, but you were right, you will be vindicated, you know, you you're the chosen one and you have to just chosen one a little harder um you know that this is like uh that this is what um that this is what this movie is and like i i i just think um I just think it didn't, it didn't decide, right? Like, and at the end, of course, there's this sort of payoff moment, like story circle, complete moment where they say, you know, at the beginning of the film, they can't say, I love you, you know? And they, you know, they say, oh, we love you princesses, you know, Bill and I love you, Ted and I love you, you know, the, we love the two of you, you know? And is it, it's not clear if this is like, because they don't conceive of themselves as separate, you know? Uh, it, it's not clear if they, you know, value the kind of the homosocial relationship, um, over the, over the, like, the generative heterosexual relationship. And like, this is going to be kind of a retrograde thing in which, uh, in which, you know, heterosexuality is sort of vindicated as, yeah, you know, as it is in a lot of Hollywood movies, which are about how you have to, you know, stop being with your bros and start being with a woman or, you know, like it, they're, they're, they go through the. They. It's not clear what what specifically makes them unable to say "I love you" as opposed to "Oh, we love you very sincerely with with all the goodwill in the world," but still uh, inadequate to the situation they find themselves in. At, you know. And at the end, um, Keanu Reeves looks into his wife's. Uh, I, you know, like the as with the daughters, I keep forgetting which couple is which. So you know, I'm just gonna say Ted's. Wife. um, And, you know, it's a sign maybe of a certain failure in the movie that I can't really make that distinction. But the, the, uh, he looks into his wife's eyes and says, I love you. How did he get there? Like, what was it? that led to that specific new ability, that specific power-up that he picked up along the way, w- where did it come from, you know? And what, um, not that it has to be drawn, like, not that you have to kind of, you know... Uh, Really spell out every every single step, but the characters seem to go through, seem to like uh, have their cake and eat it too, in the sense of whether they change or or whether they stay the same. Anyway, so there there. Sorry, that's, that was a yeah. little long, but it does present a, I think at least a coherent theory of of one of the reasons why I couldn't really bring myself to be totally satisfied by this film.
2: Yeah, and so I would add to what you're saying because I think you're you're definitely on track with a lot of this stuff based on how I felt about it too and I'm curious what Mark thinks as well but I would add to it that if the central direction of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure is backward and then forward and the central direction of Bill and Ted's bogus journey is forward and then backward uh, right look into you know it's a it's a sort of Scrooge is a I said Scrooge McDuck no Ebenezer Scrooge <laughs> right, like, uh, it's a Scrooge McDuck movie there's really only two kinds of stories Right. It's it's uh, man versus nature and then duck versus giant pile of gold. <laughs> um, but, but it's like sort of like a Christmas carol in the sense that they have to kind of confront the past, present and future and kind of use it to inform their current behavior. The direction of Bill and Ted's face, to music is inward and outward. Yeah, it's it's between the individual and the group. And it goes in a bunch of different directions, not just for different characters, but for Bill and Ted at different times. So the the first problem in plot A is that they are too myopically into each other and the unit of the band, and they need to get away from the idea of the unit of the band and and take care of who they are as people, right? As as individuals who have relationships uh, outside of themselves. I guess I guess that's what I say. It's because I'm already getting confused. It's that. Too concerned inwardly about each other and the obligations that they feel that they have collectively to the future, and they are not looking outwards to their community and the people around them and their families to take care of that stuff, including their daughters and their wives. Right. And then the second plot is that they're too they're they're because they're white dudes, they assume they're the heroes of the story, and they need to open up their thinking about whether this is about me or not. And it's also, oh, because you're the, you know, you've grown up and now you're the parent and your kids are growing up. You need to kind of take yourself out of the center of the story and put them in the center of the story. So story one is a this needs to be less about me. And story two is a this needs to be less about me. But then story three is totally this needs to be more about me. Right. Because it's about kind of like everybody coming together to fulfill Bill and Ted's dream. Um, right. And then it's like but then so when they're saying I love you. This is also confused by the fact that their myopia is is with both of them. And so there's this idea that they're simultaneously supposed to be separating from their self-obsession with each other. But they're also supposed to become more focused on themselves individually as distinct from each other. And it's hard to represent both of these things metaphorically through time travel uh, anecdotes. <laughs> right? Like uh, like they're like Ted has to realize he's not Bill and Bill has to realize he's not Ted. But there's nothing in this movie that indicates that that's the case, <laughs> right? Like, they are, they are less differentiated in this movie than in either of the previous movies. And they're most differentiated in the first movie. And then the second movie, it's kind of blurry, who's who and what's what, and they're, pretty, they're even more similar. Because I think, as you pointed out, Matt, in the first movie, you know, Bill is the idea guy and Ted is the emotion guy, right? Yeah. The, um, the ap- 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 what was the word you used? aptitudinal well, ab-
0: uh, Appetitive.
2: Appetitive. That yeah. Ted was appetitive. And that and that Bill is Bill is like, what if we came up with this cool idea? And Ted's like, All right. Right, because Ted is the sort of driving force that wants things, and Bill is the kind of like imaginative thinking guy who has the ideas. Then the second one, it's like it's also ah, Ted, it's Ted who there.
0: it's Ted who woos the princesses in right yes, in this yes. rubric, yeah. Which is important. And it's
2: Bill who who coins the phrase be excellent to each other. Right. Right. As a summation of all of their beliefs. But Ted is the party on dudes guy, right? Yeah. Um, and so in you the could say that you could like say that a, Ted
0: is, you could say that Ted is the body and Bill is the mind, but, but sorry, the, right. too, too much. of There's this any talk. number
2: of dichotomies yeah. that you yeah. could set up, but in this one, none of that seems to be present at all, right? There's no clear differentiation as far as I can tell between Bill and Ted because, and it's partly because I don't recognize them. And this is the, I think this is the thing about the movie that is both, it's kind of, it's really essential to what it's trying to do. So I don't want to say it's a mistake or wrong. But because you because you it's more like if you were going to do this, you would have to decide to do it and double down on it, which is that Bill and Ted are not fun in this movie for most of it. Yeah, they're they're slow. They are old. Right. They they are they are older than their age. They are beaten down and they are sad. Right. And and so it's sort of an anti Bill and Ted. And so for that to be a funny joke, I think you would have to go farther with it and, and make it even more absurd that these, you know, kind of rollerblader guy because they're not surfers right they're too far inland these kind of like you know they're not quite alternative rock they're they're not quite hair metal uh, the, these sort of valley dudes what is it like for a valley dude to suffer a crippling depression when he's 50. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a question that motivates a hilarious comedy. I don't know what. It is. I, mean, like, I feel
1: like I've seen that movie a bunch of times. The whole, the whole, the whole.
0: The whole yeah. Sorry, I was, I was sorry, about to say, say the whole oeuvre of Noah Bombach is you know about the the what happens to anyway. Sorry, go ahead.
2: It's called. This is called before Bill and Ted. Is what it's called. It's before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight, and then before Bill and Ted. Sorry, go ahead, Mark.
1: We should probably like you know uh, uh, dig up uh, some more stuff about the other characters and the other uh, aspects of this movie. But the one last thing on on Bill and Ted as well, like you know, I feel like they really don't you guys feel like they really pulled their punch with like the Bill and Ted get progressively worse and worse and worse. When at the end they uh, when they finally visit after they visit like. You know, um, uh, oh, by the way, like, you know, prison Bill and Ted was hilarious. Um, grifter Bill and Ted, who like breaking a day girl's house, also hilarious. Um, like it just, you know, they're just trying to screw with, uh, with 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 current day Bill and Ted. That's all stuff is all like pretty good. And, and you're right. People get getting worse and worse. But they pull the punch when they finally come across a nursing home, like nearing death Bill and Ted. And then all of a they decide um, for reasons that aren't really clear that uh, now's the time to help them out. Um, yeah, I don't get that. I don't get and, it. And, and like I, I was really expecting them, you know, after this heartfelt moment to be like, ha ha, fooled you. Ha, ha Like, you yeah. know, like, that final last thing. And then they die like that. That I thought like would have been a better way to, to round out that whole thing. Instead, they give them a, a, a USB drive. Yes, or still a USB in the year like 2067 um, uh, with the song on it, which then also turns out to be totally useless because the killer robot breaks the breaks the, uh, breaks the thumb drive um that that just like uh, is a pretty good uh i think a it's not it's not is that the right word like um um microcosm of uh the problems the strengths and the weaknesses of the movie like all leading up to that particular point there the, so they, they shouldn't
0: um, can i engage in some rewrites mark When sorry i thought i thought you were yes, wrapping absolutely. up yeah um, I, thought I was wrapping up cuz i think you're i think you're right that that scene was was wrong what, what here's what should have happened filmmakers of bill and ted they should have been separated They should have been dying alone. In in this right now the 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 twist is stupid because the second you hear that they have daughters and that Preston and Logan are responsible like wait maybe it means a different Preston and a different Logan like that that was just and and to a certain extent like well it, it's sort of more about the politics of representation later I just want to talk about kind of the narrative and kind of how it pays off as a Bill and Ted story the prophecy should have been wild stallions right and then everything in the band right everything in the movie could have been litigated on uh, on the battlefield of who is wild stallions who is in wild stallions right and like who's in the band are you in the band or not
1: yeah and that would have made the reconciliation with death much more important, who and also with everybody in all
2: creation, right? Right. Like everybody's in wild stallions yes, is the also answer. that. Yeah, I love this idea.
0: Yeah. yeah. So this is this is what you know. Thank thank you. I'll you know the director's cut. I'll I'll take my cut in you know I don't know in in uh, future in George Carlin phone booth holograms or something. But like I uh, yeah that's that just. It, makes so much, makes so much more sense. And every, each of the plots that they're trying to do, the kind of like the, you know, middle age coming to terms with yourself plot, or like, what does it mean to progress to adulthood, not just as a young adult, but as an older adult, when you start like having a family and having responsibilities and have like a house and, you know, permanent relationships and obligations and stuff. Uh, the question of like what, you know, the kind of like goofy, uh, sci-fi movie, um, You know, and the kind of the the family stuff, and the stuff about kind of reconciling, and the um, you know the the trip throughout the trip throughout history, right? Like it's not lost on me that the two daughters do a version of the first two movies, right, by going back and collecting historical figures from the past, and then uh, going to hell. You know, they, they actually kind of do an abbreviated, they do the Cliff's Notes. I mean, you know, they do the Quibby version <laughs> of the two, uh, of the two Bill and Ted movies. And like, th- that's actually not terrible, but it's not cashed out for, it's not cashed out for anything, you know? And that's, um, uh, yeah, uh, that to, to me, that's. This this would have been like a kind of a better way to hang the whole plot on um, on this conceit rather than rather than on a silly little quibble with the names.
2: Yeah, and there was also this weird thing with the killer robot where it had like a RoboCop moment where it remembered its identity after its mission was failed and everyone kept interrupting it because they felt like we don't need robot exposition in this movie. I <laughs> It was the sort of joke, right? It was like, no, 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 we don't care what your name is. We don't care who you are. Was that some? Did anyone recognize who that was supposed to be? Was that supposed to be a person that we were supposed to recognize? Was or, it Chris? Or was
0: it like I thought that like it was Christian Shaw's ex boyfriend or something? That like the robot had the name of Christian Shaw's ex boyfriend. Yeah,
1: it,
2: it doesn't matter. None of that matters, I
0: guess.
1: Yeah, it was it was gesturing, I suppose, as well at uh, you know Terminator movies, right? Had yes, I have to throw him a Terminator reference. Um, but uh, it also made me think of how like. This movie walks right up to the line of, of a place where I think it actually would have benefited from being more self-aware and referential to pop culture outside of itself and, and also and of itself as well and it just kind of like refused to do that. And so that joke just kind of like rattled around and was uh, pretty amusing like the, the 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 first couple of times that uh, the robot became self-aware and like very pitiable and then became uh, just uh, I think a mere distraction.
2: Yeah. Well, it's worth talking about the the well the two best parts of the movie I think well the end is, is good. Even the end is fun to watch and cathartic and, and I think made me cry a little bit, even if it's not entirely connected to everything that came before. The other best part is of course William Sadler's uh scene, which is the, you know, he's the best, right? The that's the guy who plays the devil, right? That's yeah, he's name?
0: and he's yeah. uh not the devil. Of death. The yeah. And he is yeah. such a wow. Yeah. The part where
2: he's like, where, they, where they're like, you know, oh, you're going to sue me again? or and it's like, you know, you sued us. Like, I was Wild Stallions. That that part was great when Death was like, I was the band. People came to see me, right? And and, uh, and it was, <laughs> that was just so, and they had this very petty, like, rock and roll argument about their band. It's been in every musical, every, like, rock and roll movie, right? Where It's like, you were doing 40-minute bass solos. And he's like, they were the highlight of the show, right? But he's doing that with that struggle he does does with the English language, because he's a supernatural Eastern European of indeterminate in, in origin. Um, but, I mean, that all part was great. But what, what I guess what I wanted to also touch on was the ending, because I didn't really explain how they fixed the problem, which is that Kid Kid Cudi, uh, hip-hop artist Kid Cudi, who, who makes an admirable turn as himself in this movie, is, it turns out, also an expert in time travel quantum mechanics, right? And, and various sorts of uh, Doctor Who-esque uh, techno babble. Uh, this is a twist that I am totally on board with. It makes total sense. Why not? Right. That Kid Cuddy is also a super expert in time travel technology. Um, and he uh, argues to Bill and Ted that they could use quantum superposition to simultaneously get all the people who've ever lived to all play music at the same time. Right. <laughs> which which Bill and Ted do using their phone booth uh by by literally like in the way only Bill and Ted would like getting a whole bunch of like saxophones and marimbas and triangles from nobody knows where and giving them to literally every person who ever lived so they can all play a song at the same time and this is what Matt would describe as oh who's wild stallions everyone is wild stallions but that also undercuts the idea that the daughters are wild stallions which is also supposed to be the twist um and and then and then at the very end they end up playing a really sick guitar solo or duet on top of all, and they get to be celebrated also as Wild Stallions. And so it's not clear who Wild Stallions is. But the main thing is that everybody, you know, there is a fun time travel twist that's very Bill and Ted esque. Uh, that does seem to heighten the shenanigans that have happened in the previous movies with regards to how willing they are to just abuse the concept that they have a time mm-hmm. machine <laughs> in order to like like paper over narrative problems. <laughs> like uh, Yeah. And so I like that. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I, you guys I, thought about I, the the end of the movie. I think
1: I overall liked it. Um, that uh, you, you describing them, you know, like um, you know, abusing the, the time traveling to paper over narrative problems. That that helps justify like how rushed it felt. Like oh, let's give everybody every single person who ever existed in all of humanity musical instruments. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> it, it, you know, like it was it was ridiculous and jarring, and it was intentionally so. Um, but let's talk about the song itself the performance that might be a good gateway into the uh representation problems uh that that, that Matt I think has a few things to say about. It. Okay. So the song that unites humanity and uh re- restores reality or you know, just like, you know, just fixes everything and uh, and anything all at once. What is the song itself? It's it oh, is,
0: it's a Kids it's, Bop it's a Kids Bop version of a Billy Eilish song.
1: Oh,
2: I was going to I was Independence Day.
1: Listen to it. Listen to yeah, Bill it. And yeah, Ted's soul. wait, wait. That, it was, it was, uh, it was a um, a, a Coldplay song. <laughs> I, it was very play esque. My point being, it was like absolutely 100% Western music, by which I mean like in the uh, European and also like the you know kind of the American pop and rock tradition. And not even um, in like
2: the Lil Nas S way, he makes Western music.
1: No, like. no, not, not that, um, you know, not, <laughs> not, not, not so much speaking to uh, all the contributions of African-Americans uh, to Western music, um, which is, you know, we'll, we'll get to that in a 2nd Um totally ignoring the music of East Asia, of, of South Asia as well. You know, the billions of people um, that groove to a totally different thing throughout time and history. That's not, you know, Western diatonic scales and things like that. Um, now, of course, like you know to a largely western audience um, you know,
0: i don't this know the fictional the perfect fi- sense fi- to us the legendary Chinese flute player really had some sick riffs, some sick blues riffs on those <laughs> uh, you know on the uh, under the like one four five four chord progression right
1: uh, she was yeah, she was making the riff, I suppose yeah so like the, the song works for us, right you know people who were uh you know what Teenager in the in the eighties and nineties in the United States of America, um, sure, you know, and it works for the purpose of the song as well, too, for the for the for the movie as well. Um, but it uh, it presents these interesting um, uh, uh, challenges, right? So, like the the we'll talk about them, right? Let's just kind of uh, run the changes on the Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, um, uh, like you know, a Chinese Mozart. player from hundreds of years ago, Mozart, uh, and then as Pete mentioned before um a literal caveman a literal savage who is uh the other the third the third uh black person in the band um uh and, and, and so this is what kid they Cuddy, this is, sort of and kid Cudi, yeah <laughs> so this is what this is what they all came up with is that really what they would have all come up with uh i i would argue no but again for the purpose of the movie this is what they did um but matt do you want to use this as a platform to talk about why this might be problematic
0: <laughs> i just like i i don't i don't understand why given given that <laughs> rock and roll is stolen from black people uh <laughs> it is back, back. <laughs> right like i i just don't understand how your your people uh that you're gonna get in this band how it's like mozart You know, uh, token Asian flutist, um, who doesn't say anything, (laughs) you know, like who doesn't, who can't be, who can't be understood. Uh, even in, you know, Napoleon, who doesn't speak English, is understood better, uh, than this character who doesn't speak English. Uh, but she, you know, speaks the, the universal language of sick riffs. Um, Like, uh, no, that, that the three black people that you put in your band are Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, and a literal savage a literal like I mean you thought Genghis Khan was problematic in the first movie you thought him like brandishing a club or sorry he wasn't brandishing a club it was a turkey leg and he was biting off biting off of this giant Disneyland huge turkey leg and like you know but grabbing his serving wench and like uh, having his way with her right like you thought this was maybe a little uh, uh, you know hadn't aged well and then you actually get an actual guy out of a mud hut in you know in prehistoric africa to play to play drums with like femurs or something with the ball and socket joint of a of a femur or something like that like ugh, what like this this is yeah. you know and like there was no it's funny in in the first film and you get this is this is interesting because it was at a time that was a lot less anxious about rep- representation uh, than we are. There were actually black characters of consequence, you know, Um the teacher, right, the kind of the person who they had to the authority figure who they had to satisfy, right, who was clearly knowledgeable and like, you know, uh, uh, had agency to kind of like affect change in their story was black. The, the A one of the students who actually gave the best presentation of all of them <laughs> that did not involve a time traveling phone booth was black. Right. Like the the um there
2: and, were and to add one thing we missed the last time around, which I'm surprised we missed is that the, the, the chief ed, ed, government leader of the future, right, that, that is supposedly utopian because of, of the music of Wild Stallions is not only black, but is played by Clarence Clemens himself. The big man oh, on the saxophone from the E Street I didn't Band. I did know that. Holy yeah, back. yeah. We're
1: Springsteen saxophonist is is the, the, the is the,
2: the president of the future. <laughs> He's like the head con- tri console of the future or whatever. Anyway, sorry, man. Now, now, now it's
0: Now it's Holland Taylor. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong. I love some Holland Taylor, but missed opportunity, right? Um, uh, you know, I don't know. The the I just think I, I just think that like it, what, what are we saying about music here? Right. And that's like, uh, here's the thing. I wish they had done a, I wish they had done like an early Guns N' Roses song or like an early Primus song or something. I wish they had done the kind of music that Bill and Ted liked. Right. And sort of really been what they are. I wish they had Jack Richard a lot harder um, in this. I wish they had Elfed, there's the metaphor I want to use. I wish they had just elfed a lot harder and really committed to elfing, um, rather than, you know, uh, rather than what they did, which was kind of try to, um, I don't know. Try to kind of, try to kind of make an everything soup, you know? And like that there was, I guess there were guitar solos in it that they played in like parallel thirds. I don't know. uh, Mark, you're the, you're the, the reigning guitar expert on, on overthinking it and in my life. Like, what do you think? What did you think of the solos themselves? Not, not even solos, the, the big guitar part that they played in, in, you know, in unison at, you know, in parallel thirds. I mean, squeety, squeety, squee,
1: squee, uh, squee. It was, it was more than adequate. It was appropriately epic. It spoke to uh, the music that they were into. But over yeah, I agree with you overall on that. It's like you know, and the, I, I, I mean, i or are we getting just kind of running into the, um, the fundamental problem that like in the first two movies, um, this the the song that uh, ever uh, existed in in all of mankind, like, left as an imagination to the listener right even in the second movie when uh bill and ted come back from the from the future after having practiced really hard on the guitar for 18 months and perform uh at this big concert uh we hear them playing you know uh a a sick guitar duet uh you know in parallel thirds uh and then we hear kiss's recording of god gave rock and roll to you right so that makes things pretty ambiguous it's like well is that the actual song or is that like you know because it is so great and uh that you know we we're not worthy to um uh to be given that experience we're just going to have to give listen to this kiss song instead that's my interpretation of it yeah, right they actually so-
2: they play with the music in terms of the degree to which it's diegetic and non-diegetic because bill and ted stop playing it and like and like reach out and triumph toward the crowd in that last scene in the second movie and this music keeps going.
1: Yeah, and they're, so, they're, yeah. The, those two characters aren't actually singing God Gave Rock. Yeah, and rock yeah, to yeah. You.
2: exactly, yeah.
1: yeah. And so um, we're, we're, then we're confronted with the, the inevitable disappointment of actually hearing the song uh, diegetically in the movie. And then you had the other thing as well, too, the, the, one of these fundamental uh, truths, I think, of, of great music is that true great, the, the truly great art is never going to unite all people because it's always going to alienate some people because you know the truly great art is by definition pathbreaking um something new uh something that has not been heard before and uh it's going to piss some people off i think so like they they really painted themselves into a corner by having to finally uh give this thing to us and like you know they to got to like give it something extra and find give Bill and tell a, a big guitar duet at the end of it. Like, I, I don't know how much I could fault it for it. Like, you know, there was I guess it was all uh, inevitably going to this point here. Um, and so we have to contend with what we did, which is like we, with what we got, which is adequate. So what
2: so, w- what is the oh, sorry, Pete, I've, I've I don't I'm not ready to leave this topic. Yeah, I, no, I have no, some no. things
0: to say. Yeah, so, oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um so uh, I mean maybe I'll depart a little bit too much and we if you want to pull it back, but I I want also there's an important relationship, I think, between the concept of representation, which is being uh, interrogated here and there, is being in, is being brought into the dialogue here in this movie in a very hand fisted way. Uh, and then also what it means. What history is, which is something that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure explores in, a, in like in, in with with commitment, if not in exact detail, right? Which, which is that like um, the char- the historical characters in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure are caricatures of their real life selves because the point of history is to learn from the people who came before some sort of lesson. Right. Like it's it's about history class. And so you learn about different historical figures to learn things that are relevant about your own life. You don't just learn. You don't just go get Billy the kid because he has a gun. Right. It's like, oh, we need to get a whole bunch of people to help with this. This uh, this this thing. We should get someone with a gun. We should get somebody in a toga like, no, they get Billy the kid because he's this sort of uh, law unto himself. Right. And they go get Socrates because he's the questioner. Right. And he he wants to understand things. And they're all these kind of overblown caricatures of real people played for comedic effect. And so there's this awkward intersection in this movie where if you go through each of them, you've got Jimi Hendrix, whose only real contribution is that he's really good at guitar. He has no none of the personality of Jimi Hendrix is present in the movie. He's played very naturalistically, like as in this person is just Jimi Hendrix. He's just a guy. He's playing guitar at Woodstock or something, right? And uh, and he's great at guitar. And he's awesome. He's a very passionate guitar player. And he plays in his very distinct style. Um, but there's nothing about the characterization of Jimi Hendrix that sets him apart from anybody else. Could have been Darius Rucker, right? Uh, the important thing is that it's a bunch of white women going to a legendary black musician and, and acknowledging that he's one of the greatest of all time, which I get is an important and useful thing to do. But in the context of the time travel, it's like, well, is this supposed to be actual Jimi hendrix or is this supposed to be a sort of historical figure Jimi hendrix who who kind of represents psychedelia and the contributions of psychedelia Jimi hendrix is played straight louis though, is not played straight yep and i don't know whether that's on purpose or not because i'm not sure whether the the like affect the voice affectation of the actor is is just a failure to be naturalistic. Well, Louis Armstrong is a strange person to pick if you're looking to play someone straight because people only really saw his performative, you know, his performative persona, which in itself is problematic because it was so inspired by minstrelsy, right? Which is not to say that he was doing anything wrong, but it's a characteristic of the of the time and place where he was in show business, right? And this is, I mean, Walt Disney didn't put Louis Armstrong in his movie because he knew it was problematic, right? Like, uh, like, like when I'm talking about wait, Jungle wait, 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 wait movie, right? which
1: movie? Jungle, which movie?
2: So, the so little back to the Jungle Book, right? Is the last Walt Disney movie, and the Jungle Book has a character in it named King Louis, who is an orangutan, who is the king of the of the uh, monkeys and apes, uh, and okay. the oh. and as is often the case in Disney movies, as we even most recently saw when we last discussed. Um, uh, the the uh, the various Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Little Mermaid movies. They pull a lot of specific jazz styles and kind of like jazz and big band kind of old timey musical show business styles to to make Disney songs. And and King Louis big number is about how uh, he wants to be human, you know, and he wants fire and he wants to have all the, the abilities that humans have. And the original concept is he's Louis Armstrong. Because Louis Armstrong is awesome and because he plays trumpet, right? And this orangutan has kind of like a big mouth, right? But then they're like, oh, that's racist. That's horribly racist, <laughs> right? We, we can't have a monkey that is voiced as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a black celebrity and historical. I mean, I guess at this point he was a current day celebrity and musician. So instead King Louis is supposed to be Louis Prima and he's in the style of Louis Prima. But like nobody nowadays knows who Louis Prima was, right? So it's sort of like, uh, OK, so he's in the style of Louis Prima. But the point being that like Louis Armstrong, if, if you were to sit down and make a biopic of Louis Armstrong, I think that as a white person, it would be very, very hard to make. And I think if a black person made it, it would also be hard to make because it's really hard, I think, to get in dialogue with the performativity of Louis Armstrong's public persona as it relates to minstrelsy. Uh, it, is, it is a sort of surpassing of it. It is a sort of greater thing than it. And Louis Armstrong is kind of bringing a sort of great artistic creation into being with his sort of canonical music. But what does it mean to be sachmo? Is, is a question that Bill and Ted is not the right movie to address, right? Like it is, it is too complicated. Um, and why, you know, I mean, I guess maybe they know that Louis Armstrong was very specifically important to Jimi Hendrix, which maybe that's true. I couldn't tell from the movie whether that was a real thing or not, but it's like, but, but you can't see somebody do a Louis Armstrong voice and think, oh, that's like actually Louis Armstrong. It's an impersonation of Louis Armstrong. And so so the problem is not necessarily like on one hand, it's OK. Louis Armstrong was a tough pick and spending all this time with Louis Armstrong was also a tough pick and spending all this time with Louis Armstrong and not dealing with like any of the the sort of weird or tense issues that would come up dealing with Louis Armstrong. But it's also that the expectation is set that the historical characters are going to be realistic. And then it's somebody who's talking like that. Right. And I'm not even going to do it. Right. Um, and it's like, is he supposed to be realistic? And then they triple down on it because Mozart, of all people, is realistic. Mozart is like handsome and and is not a sort of like, you know, you know kind of like overly effete foppish kind of caricature or a sort of giddy overblown amadeus take, right? He's just like a dude playing harpsichord who is very good looking and very kind of put together and speaks German, right? And so okay, so Jimi Hendrix gets to be a real person, Mozart gets to be a real person. Louis Armstrong is a sort of half caricature, and I don't know what's happening here. And there's a literal Cro-Magnon person,
0: <laughs> right? Like, so I don't know. And the, the, the issue, but the, here, the literal Pete, the literal Cro-Magnon person is Louis Prima, so it's okay.
2: Yeah, exactly. But the, the issue here, I think, is this. This intersects with the problem of representation because the point of incorporating, the point of of like you know. Bill and Ted Minor, right? Going like you know, Thea and Billy Minor, uh, going to get all these people is that they're important for music, right? But it, but it's like but but we don't know the 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 dialogue in which they are sort of existing with relation to these characters is unclear, and also like they're not even they're not even present. Like what the question is. Yeah, you can represent them by casting them with these actors and choosing these people. But what is the representation that you're giving? Right. What are you saying about? This? Why? Why right? is it?
0: Why and, is it important? Like, if history is something that we learn something from, right? If these historical figures yeah. exist for us, what do we learn from? You know, what are the kind of? What is the like the larger lesson, and why are the pieces of it? Uh, Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, and Mozart, and uh, a mythical uh, flautist, and a uh, and a caveman drummer. You
2: know why? Like, woman, by the way, we keep calling her man but it's a woman also which is also kind of like well they did that right <laughs> like, like sorry it's sorry it's just it's um i don't know it just <gasps> seems like a textbook example of Wait, like the, the caveman to, like, the, the write ca- characters in without
0: giving them actual depth the right? caveman is a uh, the caveman is a woman.
2: is it is one a woman I, mark do you remember i think so i do not recall no oh <laughs> okay. man um I thought, I, see this is a great example of like what are they even saying by what, doing this? Yeah, what and is it's going? Like a yeah, big important part of the movie, <laughs> right? And like, what is even going on? I don't even know. It's not like it was hard to ascertain what Napoleon was doing at the water park, right? It was like now I have to remember. So it's Ling Lun is Ogram, yeah, played by Patty Ann Miller of. Uh, of so you think you can dance? Oh wow! And the Super Bowl Fifty halftime show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so
0: like, uh, this, uh, you know, this this is no joke. I'm sure you guys have heard it. But uh, what do you call someone who hangs out with musicians?
1: What? I don't know, Matt. What? What do you call the person? A drummer. Yeah. They're, oh, they're,
0: oh. <laughs> oh, sick burn. What am I? Yeah.
1: The point is the point is taken. Yeah, this is not an instrument. This is not someone who plays a tonal instrument uh, and provides a percussion instead.
2: Well, you know, the thing that really took me out of the room is that when they're getting everybody to, when they're doing the sort of Independence Day, get on the horn and tell them how to bring these sons of bitches down moments. Yeah. Where they were like, they is selling to everybody like, oh, you know the uh, uh, the oh, it's Billy who says it to everybody. It's in C major and it's at one hundred and twenty beats per minute, right? And it's like none of those people know the transpositions of their instruments. They're not going to be playing in the-
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Also
1: they modulate so it doesn't stay
2: the same It is true. Not only it does is a C major for a trumpet not the same key as C major for an electric guitar, right? But they change key multiple times in the, in the song.
0: Also <laughs> so his- <laughs> historically, like throughout history, like not only have there been different tuning systems, different ways of kind of tempering the scale so that, you know, notes would, would... Chords, like a C major chord in one tuning system would sound different. But even the the frequency of, like, A, which we have standardized as 440, is not something that has, you know, been consistent throughout history. So if you played, you're going to be, like, you know, a bunch of cents sharp in, uh, <laughs> you know, if you... Um, our, our, our sensors are showing that the time before 1500 isn't well-tempered
2: at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, that's I mean, I guess they do. I guess uh, Billy and Thea do have auto-tune. Um, right, that's true, and it's, so like, they're mixing it. I guess, like the yeah. last thing, we're we're even maybe maybe we end here because, like, but I, I want to ask what what is there in a movie about excellence? What is the excellence of Billy and Thea, right? Like, what this was the other problem I had. Like, what what is their contribution other than like their enthusiasts right they are sort of curators they're sort of bricolures. you know there is, so there is something kind of contemporary about you know about this because it's like not that like sampling is all that contemporary but the idea that you know, um, the idea that like, it's, it's a postmodern idea, right? Like the idea that we're doing sort of remixes and, and really curation is the important, uh, uh, is the important skill, but like, what do they, what is sort of the central insight strength or, you know, um, you know, luck or realization or something like what, why are they good and why is what they do good? I think the film doesn't have really an account of, uh, an account of this. Like it's good cause we're all doing it together, you know? Um, and uh that's not
2: their skill at all. Yeah, that's not their skill set at all. Right,
0: exactly. Right? But what yeah no, because they, they they are actually really masters of a vast quantity of abstruse knowledge. You know, they are elite yeah. they are an elite. Whether or not they are elitists, I guess, is a different story, but they are they are an elite because they have this like, you know, graduate level knowledge of, of sort of music history and a, a great deal of cultural history to sort of go along with it, which actually does not not that actually tracks because they are the daughters of bill and ted but like what what do they bring to the what do they bring to the table and what is the film telling us about about what is important in that on that I, score
1: i have a partial uh, answer to this um but i'll just go and tell you it's not like super satisfying as well because you don't really feel the full weight of it uh, by the end of the movie um it has to do with like their ingenuity their problem solving and their leadership abilities right um uh, you know, to get Jimmy Hendrix to join the band, they know that they have to take a, to, they, and to convince Louis Armstrong to join the band. They, you know, they have these somewhat clever machinations that they go through, um, and that's like aha! You know, they're they're clever girls. You know, they this is the vibe that they bring to the table. Um, they uh, help Bill and Ted reconcile with death. Uh, you know, showing good mediation and leadership skills there. And then finally, by the end of it, like they have this like coordination um, and management and leadership thing where, uh, you know, instead of just like having all of these great musicians uh, play cacophonously at the same time together, they provide a structure, they cue different instru- musicians to come in um at appropriate times um and these are all real things right any of us who have been in a musical ensemble know that you need someone in charge to tell people when to start and when 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 to play and when not to play um but it, it 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 falls short of something that kind of like uh it feels weighty and interesting in the movie. And it's all, like, uh, to the broader critique of this movie, right? It's kind of in the service of letting these two uh, older white men actualize rather right? than, like, really getting the sense that, that the two of them get to self-actualize and know themselves. So, yeah, Actually, that's what they're
2: doing. Cool. So, it's basically, it's like they're really good at leadership, which makes a lot of sense because they show, I think, probably the most important quality of contemporary leadership, which is the ability to get a whole bunch of people to work without paying them.
0: Oh, my God. They're Facebook.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you're if you're if you're if you're if you get it for free, you're not the product. Yeah, it's customer. You're the product.
0: It's user generated content.
2: Yes, that's right. right. And uh, but I mean, I get I mean, yeah, so that that I mean, that would that would. But then it's like, okay, work backward from that. What should their characters be like if their main skill is that they are really good at building partnerships and and inspiring followership and kind of working effectively with people i I don't think there's stuff actually in their characterization that supports it which is why it doesn't really register which is why it's hard that it does to really have it make that point which is also the issue of like the representation of the other musicians are you just good at music or are you are we telling your story or are we using you as an example like why are you here uh yeah and um right and, and not that it should be anybody else, I guess, other than I would have swapped in somebody else. I would have swapped in like Fats Domino for Louis Armstrong just because he's, he's easier uh, and, and the through line is more direct. Uh, you could have just made it about rock and roll, um, which I know would have been more that would have been unsatisfactory. But the song's going to be a rock and roll song anyway. <laughs> I,
0: yeah, I, <laughs> so I, I like, would like either Chuck Berry or Muddy Waters. Oh, yeah, um, Chuck Berry maybe been maybe Count Basie.
2: I think he would have been a better pick over Louis Armstrong as a too. big as yeah. a
0: big band leader. Um, yeah. Actually, you know what? Let's leave this as an exercise to the listeners. Like, well, we can all think about our our ideal band. Say you have half a dozen or however many people throughout history who you're going to unite all of humanity across space and time and save reality with. Who is in your band? Leave that in the comments on the show notes for this uh, for this episode, guys. I, I think it might be time. Uh, I th- I think it might be time for us to uh, play our finale in uh, in perfect uh, in perfect parallel thirds. So I mean in, in 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 a minute or two, do we have anything to say about, A, the experience of sort of mainlining Bill and Ted this week? Like, Did you find yourself being more excellent to each other and partying on dudes uh, in a way that you wouldn't have uh, otherwise? Do you, um, you know, and and also kind of the cultural legacy of Bill and Ted, is there anything that that you want to say about that uh, that, you know, um, might be good to, to wrap on?
2: Well, I mean, I think that I found some strength, I think, from it. I gave a if you want to hear my big rant on what I kind of think Bill and Ted is about. You can listen to the Men's only podcast because I, I close out that podcast with it. But I will say that 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 energy and, and the sort of feelings and thoughts associated with the first two Bill and Ted movies felt like they helped shore up my coping capacity for all the craziness that's happening in the world right now. And then Chadwick Boseman died. And so which was just a, a real friggin gut shot. Right. Um, and and kind of devastating. Um, and I guess it still it, it still helped, I suppose, to to think about, you know, these 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 notions of sort of history and and the future and kind of being present now and in, in, with the aspiration of making the world a better place um, and kind of what historical people, uh, you know, contribute to it um it definitely made me feel a little bit better about being present in a time that feels historical which is really not all that great of a thing to be present in um so i didn't want to let it pass without mentioning the sort of grief over chadwick Bozeman. i don't really have anything to say about him that other people haven't already said and other than you know you know a transformative uh transformative career though a short one as a performer who kind of retold so many things but like coping with something like that, right? I mean, it, it's weird, but it's like, th- that, was the, that was the collage, right? Was like Bill and Ted's bogus journey and then like the the unexpected and sudden demise of a very beloved cultural figure that we all feel kind of connected to uh, through his work, right? And what it's meant to, if not us directly, then other people that we know and care about, right? And it's like, okay, it did feel relevant, right? Even though people talk about these movies being dumb, like it felt relevant, it felt helpful, uh, and it felt like like supportive and kind of it fed me a little bit. Um, but it but it only does so much. Um, and I think that this movie didn't really do that, which was my chief disappointment with it, was that it, it didn't make me feel better, uh, which I guess is kind of like a selfish thing to say. Right. Um, that Bill and Ted face the music actually made me feel Until the very, very end, which which was cathartic and felt good, mostly just made me feel a lot worse about the situation that we're all in. Um, And in that sense, it felt like a departure. But but the ultimate thing when it boils down to is this idea of like, you know, having faith that the future will be a better place if you choose to uh, live in the present with a with an intention of excellence. Right. Um, You know, whatever that means to you. And to kind of acknowledge and celebrate the excellence of others and to not kind of exclude it uh, and, and, and all that stuff, um, that all meant a lot to me. I don't know, Mark, what did, what did your Bill and take, uh feel like in the, in, with this sort of inclusion of these, these movies into this, uh, into this sort of strange environment that we're all living in right now?
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about the, uh, the power of nostalgia uh, and the power of youth. Those are the kind of the two things, the main things that come to mind here, right? And like, uh, you know, going back to these uh, great and powerful movies from the late 80s, early nineties, this like, you know, time of innocence, and of course, like very formative years for the three of us as we were growing up as uh, young wee lads in these United States of America, like that, you know, th- that there's always going to be value in that, and I'm, you know, there's there's no shame in like, you know, going back and digging up old movies from a childhood and enjoying them again uh, in, in in a different context and in, in a different age. All that said. Um the main thing that i'm left with is that youth youth is best left to the young <laughs> right <laughs> like you know the actual young um Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves who brought that youth exuberance to these roles um some 30 years ago um and then you know did their absolute best right to recapture some of that um and um and bring something new and relevant to the stage here um but ultimately um uh, you know, it did something that, uh, you know, couldn't, it, couldn't it do the same thing that it did before. And, uh, you know, in a certain way, if you want to look at it this way, to pride the opportunity, uh, of the, the two female leads, uh, to do something like that. So, um, you know, not out of malice or anything like that, right? but just out of this, like, uh, you know, continuing desire to capitalize on, on past success. And um, no one is immune from that at all. Uh, but that is youth's role is to usurp and move them out of the way and do something great um, because it's their time to do so. And uh, all that is to say, Gen X, get out of the way. Time for the Zoomers to save us all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> got it the the mark with the times they are changing and i guess you know i guess i would say there's something there's something to that uh there's something to breaking that usb stick in the movie or you know whatever it is the medium on which the the recording of the song is is um you know is is embedded because like the, the, you kind of have to make it, you kind of have to make it new, you know, like the, the, you have to sort of do it over and over again to, to address the times. And like, I, you know, it's, it, do, do I want people to judge my life by, the you know 630 however many podcasts we've already recorded in this well no i i you know i want them to judge me um by the next podcast right that i that i'm going to record by the next by the next song by the next um by the next thing and and i guess that the like there is kind of something in all the striving, right? Like there is kind of something in the never giving up of Bill and Ted. That's good that I, you know, actually to kind of bring it around to, to the, the really awful news about Chadwick Boseman. Like, like it's awful that he was, uh, it's awful because he was so great uh he was a good actor he was he was uh, an important actor that people liked um and that people identified with and who used you know in various ways used uh his talents and the platform he was afforded to do a lot of really great things and it's it's awful because he was so young you know and because you can imagine like a whole string of next things for him um that that would have been, you know, that would have been interesting. And I guess something about, you know, something about just the, the endless optimism of, of Bill and Ted, how they're kind of not troubled by anxiety, but the way that they sort of go, um, the, they, the way they get to work, you know, in, in a weird way. Like, they're, you know what, it's like their theremin music is stupid, but they're going to play the hell out of that theremin. (laughs) Like, they're going to headbang, they're going to lift it up, they're going to toss it, you know, uh, around the stage. And, like, to the extent that uh, each of us can play the hell out of our own theremin, um, you know, because we are... From time to time, reminded very poignantly that that our time is not infinite. Uh, so, in in the meantime, Elf as hard as you possibly can. All right, this has been the Overthinking of podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much to Pete and Mark for uh, podcasting with me. We'll be back next week. Uh, you can uh, head to the comments if you want to talk about um, Bill and Ted face the music, about Bill and Ted in general, or if you want to put together your uh, your if you want to draft your or you know ideal band from history would love to see uh, a bunch of those and where people where people go with them uh slash join for the uh for the membership program if you would like access to the uh you know to the the bonus podcast which not only uh, touches on uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey, but also contains Pete's uh, grand unified theory of Bill and Ted in general. But, uh, you know, um, even if you do none of that, you can find us always at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. <laughs>
2: So did you guys wait for the after-credits scene for this movie? Oh, no. There is? was one. There was an after-credits scene in this movie. Yeah. We're going to have to start recognizing that PVOD is going to start having uh, after-credits scenes, the premium video on demand. Um, So you can fast-forward through the credits. You don't have to watch the whole thing. But at the end of the credits, there was an after-credits scene in which elderly Bill and Ted – uh, played uh, one oh. last. Oh, yeah! Sorry, thing.
0: I, I did. I did see that. I thought they were going to die at the end, and and they didn't. And I was disappointed.